I said, isn't he worthy to be praised? Amen. We serve a faithful God, and he deserves all of our praise, all of our adoration. And it sounds like you came to praise him this morning. Amen. It sounds like you know the God that you're worshiping. Amen. It sounds like you've been through some stuff this week, and you need some release in this place. It sounds like you know what Jesus did on your behalf. It sounds like you appreciate Calvary, Golgotha. Amen. 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 Let us pray. Father, we are so thankful for the opportunity to praise you and to lift you up this morning. Truly, you are faithful. Truly, you are worthy of our adoration. I pray that as we go forth, Lord, that we will not forfeit your presence in this place. I pray, Father God, that your Holy Spirit would manifest itself in this place through peace, O God, through joy. I pray, Father, that you would fill us up with you. Fill us up, Father God, till we hunger no more. Now, Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord. Speak, Father, for your servants are listening. Raise us up, Father God, from any pits that we may be in. Clothe us, Father God, in the secret place. Set us under your shadow. Help us to be able to leave this place, Father, better than we came. Help us to be able to set our eyes on the things that are above and not the things that are below. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Christ's name we pray. And the people of God said, amen. Amen. What a joy it is to be with you this morning to fellowship uh, with God's people. Um, How good and how pleasant it is. For brothers to dwell together in unity. That's what the psalm says. Amen. I am thrilled and excited about uh, today and moving forth here at Forest as we start a new series on stewardship. On stewardship. And the aim of this series is to help us to maximize what we have been given by the Lord, and who God has made us to be. We want to be able to maximize what God has entrusted to us, as well as, by his grace, becoming the absolute best that we can be for him. Amen? So we're going to talk about how to maximize our treasure, that is, our possessions, from money and finances to our children to the job that he's entrusted us with. We're going to talk about how to maximize our time as stewards of God. Everyone has been given the same amount of time every single day, 24 hours, amen? And we need to learn how to maximize every second and every minute, every hour for the sake of our Lord. So we want to talk about maximizing our time, our our treasure, but we also want to talk about what it looks like to maximize our talent. God has given everyone who has professed faith in Christ Jesus a gift, a spiritual gift. And we're going to learn about spiritual gifts throughout this series, and we're going to learn about how to maximize that for the sake of the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Well, we're going to start off by talking about our treasure. We're going to really focus for the next few weeks on on money. There's a popular television show called American Greed. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it or ever uh, seen the show. I believe it comes on like CNBC or something like that. And American Greed basically is about uh, American scams and how as a result of a scam that happened, someone else was affected and had some type of dream crush. The handle or the hook for American Dream is this. It's some people know, all that matters to some people, excuse me, is, is money. All that matters to some people is money. And the show just documents how that's true for some people. Some people are willing to lie, to cheat, to, to scoundrel, to do whatever they can to get money. Now, I know as, as soon as I talked about stewardship, 
For some of us, our hearts sank because we don't like to hear sermons about money, right? And for some of us, that's, it's a good reason why. Sometimes when we turn on the television and we listen to a television, uh, television preacher, it seems that that's all they're talking about, and we, we can see their manipulative ways. But we must understand that money is not evil. And as the people of God, it's important that we know what to do with our possessions. Money is not evil. Money is morally neutral. <laughs> it's, we, it can be used either for good or it can be used either for bad. In fact, Paul tells his understudy Timothy, he, he tells him quite frankly, he says, listen, the love of money is the root to all evil. The love of money is the root to all evil. When we love money, evil is going to persist out of it, all right? So we don't want to see it as, as something that is evil. We don't want to see it as something that's bad. We don't want to uh, see it as a church when we talk about money as one of those Sundays that we just have to kind of deal with. We want to embrace this subject with joy and with, with hope, knowing that, that God wants to use us in that way. In fact, the great reformer Martin Luther once said, there are three conversations that every Christian must have. It says the conversation about the heart, the conversation about the head, and the conversation about the purse or the wallet. Jesus believed that because Jesus talked about money more than any other subject, including heaven or hell. Now, that doesn't mean that money is more important than heaven or hell. But when Jesus was preaching, the Bible says that he was preaching as one with authority. He was preaching as the author of life. He knew what people's hearts was fixated on. And just like it is today, it was so back then. It was on possessions. So he preached often about possessions more than any other subject. Today's text, Luke chapter 16, verse 1 through 13 we're going to read about a, read a, a parable about a, a man who is known as the dishonest manager. Jesus is going to teach us some powerful principles about stewardship. If you could stand to your feet as we go to Luke chapter 16 and we look at verses 1 through 13. It's a powerful, powerful parable. There's going to be six principles in this parable that I think that we can go home with. Today I'm not going to dive really deep into each six of these principles because throughout this series we're going to kind of circle around to these principles. And as we turn our pages to this parable, may we do so with anticipation and expectation because we get to learn from the best manager and steward in the history of the world. We get to learn from Jesus. And we're going to see six principles that Jesus is going to teach that's going to help us to better, be better stewards of our time, our treasure, and our talent. Luke chapter 16, verse 1 through 13. And what you hold in your hands, beloved, is not a self-help book. It is the very word of God is given to us through the Holy Spirit so that we would know how to best relate to God and serve others. Precious, authentic, marvelous word of God reads. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges was brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. 
The master commendeth the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant, I'll repeat it, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You may be seated. Today, I want to talk about powerful principles for good stewardship. Powerful principles for good stewardship. So we look at today's story, and especially in verses 1 through 4, we learn about a, a rich owner who was, uh, was dealing with a, a manager, and this manager uh, ends up taking advantage of this owner. In fact, in verse 2, we read a phrase says that he wasted the owner's possessions. In Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 31, Luke, the great physician, is writing to his disciple Theophilus, and he is trying to teach him about Jesus' method or Jesus' philosophy on money and on possessions. And he does so by telling this great story. The first principle that we want to see in today's passage is that a good steward embraces being the manager and not the owner. A good steward embraces being a a manager and not the owner. Look at verse 1. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges was brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. Wasting his possessions. And one of the reasons that this man was wasting the owner's possessions is that this man at some point got confused. At some point he began to forget that he did not own his owner's possessions that they did not belong to him. And for us, if we're going to be good stewards, faithful stewards, we must see ourselves as managers and not owners. God wants you to see yourself as one who is called to manage his assets. You have been entrusted with time. You have been entrusted with treasure. You have been entrusted with talent. You have not simply been given time, given treasure, and given talent. You have been entrusted with it. And here's the difference. If God is the owner and he entrusts you with something, that means that he still owns it. And your job is to just take care of it. Whereas if he just is If he just gives it to you, you can accept it and do whatever you want to with it. Beloved, everything that you own, everything that you have belongs to another. If it is a good thing. For the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from above. It comes from the Father of light. Psalm 24 and 1 tells us very clearly that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world and all those who dwell in it. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 14 says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heavens of heavens. 
the earth with all that is in it. We are not owners, we are stewards. Steward is an overseer. In fact, that's what this word manager, uh, in the King James Version, we know that instead of manager here is the word steward. We have been called to oversee God's possessions, the things that God has given us. In the business and finance world, there is a position called an asset manager. And the asset manager monitors things of values for someone else. So that person or company may receive money from someone else in, in order to invest it for them. In the same way, we are all asset managers. God gives us money so that we can invest it to build his kingdom up and not our own. But many times in this consumeristic world that we live on and we see money, we see our paycheck as a way to just kind of get even or get ahead. And our dream is to then use that money to build up our own kingdom here on earth. But money is not to be used to build our kingdom. It is to be used to build God's kingdom. And he's the one who owns it all. Randy Alcorn has a great quote. The quote goes, money is not a toy to be played with. It is a tool to be used to impact the kingdom of God. Money is not a, a toy to be played with. It is a tool to be used to impact the kingdom of God. It is a tool to be used to impact eternity. When God entrusts us with $5, $10, $100, $500, $500,000, we need to see it as a tool to impact eternity. And not as a tool to build bigger barns and bigger houses for the sake of our own glory and our own do you see your bank account as a tool to build up God's kingdom or as a toy to play with? Do you see your bank account as a ticket to fulfill all your dreams and earthly pleasures? Or do you see it as a tool? This dishonest manager saw his owner's possessions as a toy, and the Bible says he wasted it away. So we want to first know that a good steward knows they are a manager and not a owner. They knows that the, th the things that they have been given does not belong to them. But second, a good steward lives for the day of accountability. Verse number two. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. So this guy, he's, he's just kind of been wasteful with his master's possessions. And, and one day the master hears about the fact that he's being wasteful and there is a, a day of judgment. The master comes and he lets this manager know. He says, your time is up. You are fired. Go and settle my accounts. Get the money that I am owed. Make sure the paperwork is in order because you are no longer employed. And as God's stewards, as God's assets managers, we must know that the day of accountability, the day of judgment is coming. There is going to be a day where we will be held accountable for how we use our talent, how we use our time, and how we use our treasure. One day you will be held accountable. I will be held accountable for how we use the time that we were on the clock at work. Because we are being paid by our employer to provide a service. And time matters to God. If we're being paid for eight-hour days, but we're only working four-hour days, and two hours is spent on social media, and another two is spent in the break room, in the back, in that secret cot that only an employee knows about, one day we're going to be held accountable for that. 
We're also going to be held accountable for, for how we spend what God has given us. If we're not spending it with efficiency and with humility and in a way that doesn't just benefit us but that benefits his kingdom, one day we're going to be held accountable. One day we're going to be held accountable for, for the possession that God has given us called our children. A valuable possession, a gift from above. One day we're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to have to give account for if we use our time to pour into them as Christians, to make disciples of them, to educate them so that they would be an arrow in our hands to, to impact Satan's kingdom and build up God's. One day we all are going to be held accountable. And a good steward is one who is living with that day in mind. One who is praying, Lord, help me to make the best use of my time. Help me to know that time is fleeting, that my life is but a mist, that I am here today and gone tomorrow. One day, our owner is going to, to bring a day of accountability. And I have to ask myself, am I living in light of that day? Am I making the best use of time? Am I redeeming? the time. You know, this day of accountability can come one or two ways. The first way that it can come is it can come through an early departure or unexpected death. One statistic I read said worldwide 300,000 people die every day. 300,000. Out of the 300,000 people that die every day, how many of you think that they were prepared and knew that today was the day? I would bet to venture that it was a very small number. Even those who are terminally ill don't know exactly when their day is going to come. So that day of accountability can come through death, but it also can come through Jesus' return. And the Bible says that he is going to return as a thief in the night. Do you think that this asset manager in this passage knew that his master on that day was going to come before him? And tell him to give account? I don't think he did. Romans chapter 12 verse 14 says, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Every single one of us will give an account to God. Romans 14, 12. Romans 12, 14 and then 14, 12, right? Says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We all will be before the judgment seat of God. I love what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says. It says it in a, in a similar way, but listen to these words. For we all, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the beamer of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We just looked at three of many verses in the New Testament alone about a day of accountability. And what we want to do is, as we think about this stewardship series, we want to pray and we want to remind ourselves that that day is coming. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 through 15, Paul really helps us as believers to understand that day. For those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, for those who have looked to the cross for deliverance and for healing and for eternal life, we know that we are secure in God. We know that our salvation is with him and it belongs to him and, and he has never lost one who he has saved. But the Bible teaches that even though our salvation is sure and it will not be taken away, that we will be sealed and that we will be kept, the Bible says that one day we will stand before Jesus and we will give account for our works. The Bible says that our works will then go through the fire. It will go through a time of intimate and intricate judgment. And some of our works may make it through the fire, meaning that we may be rewarded for what we have done, but some will be burned as straw or wood because we either did it with the wrong motive. The motive being self. 
before we were wasteful. I don't know about you, but as I I read this passage over and over this week, I I just was overcome with a a sense and 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 a cry to the Lord, Lord, help me not to be wasteful with what you have given me. Lord, help me to number my days. Lord, help me to train my children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Help me to know where I'm falling short. Help me to look to Christ and know that I am forgiven and I am loved in spite of. But help me to look at those babies and to know that you have given them to me so that I would store them and so that I would make a disciple of them through your power, by your grace. And help me not to forfeit that. Help me not to forfeit the the little money that I do have. Help me not to be wasteful. Help me to see that you have not given it to me as a toy or as a tool, but as a a toy or a ticket, but as a tool to make an impact, to make an impact on my neighbors, to make an impact on those who are in the family of God who do not have, to make an impact on those who are lost. And that is only going to be done if I believe that one day I'm going to be held accountable. Verses 3 through 5, we see our third principle. We are called to be prudent planners. Good steward is a prudent planner. So this guy gets his pink slip. He's told that he now has to, to leave. And then we see how he responds. The manager said to himself, what shall I do Since my master is taking the management away from me, I am not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? So this this manager is given a pink slip by his owner, and he begins to think. He says, oh, my goodness, I'm I'm not going to have a place to stay. uh, I'm now going to be put out, and I I don't know what the future is going to hold. And I, I love what the text says in verse number three. He says, what shall I do since my master is taking management away from me? And then in verse four, he says, I have decided what to do. And in Greek, it is written almost as, as if he had a aha moment. It's an emphatic statement. I got it. I know what I'm going to do. And the Bible says that he then begins to plan and to be shrewd. And then he begins to to schedule out a way in which the tide can change. It is impossible to be a good steward without planning. And without being a prudent planner. You know the old adage. If you fail to plan, you are planning to fail. And for many of us, the the issue with our stewardship is not that we don't necessarily care. It's not that we don't have hearts that that, that want to help someone else out or that that, that wants to, to do better, but it's that we don't take the time to plan and to think through what God has given us. You can do You know, a lot of times we say you can't do much with $100. You can do a lot with $100 if you plan well. You give $100 to a prudent person, to a wise person, to to a woman who is uh, in tune with her budget and who wants to see her family do well, she'll make that $100 talk. She'll make it walk. You give that same $100 to someone who is living without giving great thought to it, and it won't go far. It's like you got a, a hole in your pocket. God has called us to be prudent planners, to be wise planners. And this man begins to think. He says, I messed up big time. I was dishonest, and now I'm without a home. I need to sit down and come up with a plan. Now, the plan he comes up with has really been a, a confusing issue for for centuries in the church. 
How you read this plan and the, the way that Jesus commends this, this gentleman is, is uh, it, it, it really can be read one or two ways. We see that this man begins to go to uh, his master's business partners. And he begins to cut the price of what they are owed. In one situation, one man owes 100 measures of oil, which is equivalent to about 875 gallons. And we know that he uh, cuts that almost in half. And then for another man, he owes 100 measures of wheat, which is about 37,000 or 47,000 liters of, of, of wheat. And he cuts the price. And some say, well, what he's doing is once again, he's being dishonest. He's cheating his master. And I think... That's a fair reading of the text. It's saying he's lowering the price in order to make friends of these people so that when he's fired, perhaps he can come work for them. Perhaps he can have a place to stay. And they look at the text and say, Jesus then commends this man on the fact that he is shrewd, on the fact that he is wise, on the fact that he didn't just sit around and allow his fate or his demise to to go to being homeless, but instead he is proactive and he uses his wealth, he uses his money to influence others so that the future would be well. But there's another angle that says maybe this man wasn't being dishonest. And some theologians say that what what is happening here is he sits down, he knows that he's disappointed his manager, his, his owner, and he goes to his manager business partners. And as he goes to them, he tells them, he says, listen, uh, uh, what do you owe my master? And then he cuts the price, but what he's doing is he's not cutting his manager's money down, he's taking out his own commission and his own taxes. Because he knows he's going to have to go back and give it to the manager, but he also knows that that that's not going to be enough to sustain him. So in order to make friends, in order to, to have a sure future, he gives them a big break. Now, one can read this text either way and come to the same conclusion. Jesus in this text is commending this man for being shrewd. Some translation says for being astute or being wise. He is commending this man for the sake, for the fact that he took time to plan. He took time to work that plan. And as a result, the future is going to be impacted. Listen, all of us, young and old, we need a vision for the future we've been saved by God, if we've been brought into his kingdom, that means that the cross of Christ is what's most important to us. That means that we now, as a result of the free gift of eternal life, we now are surrendering and denying ourselves for the sake of people who don't know Jesus. Because we now see the cross and the resurrection of Jesus as the most beautiful event in the world. And we understand that we deserve hell and that we were headed to hell. And now we know that we have an eternal hope, an eternal future of peace and joy. And now we can live with a, in a different way, with a different swag, with different intentions, because we are not worried about the future. We know that Jesus has went to heaven to prepare a better place for us, John 14 says. And I'm excited about that, not simply because Jesus was a carpenter and he is probably creative and knows how to put together a nice house. I'm excited about that because Jesus is the one who created the universe. He's the one who created the mountains and the valleys. He's the one who created the seas and all the animals and things that are yet to be discovered. He's the one who knows the galaxies that we have yet to discover. And if he has created that, then truly, and if he has told me that he is going to prepare a better place for me, then truly I have something to look forward to. And as a result of that, it changes how I view money. It changes how I view time. It changes how I view talent. I'm not caught up in hoarding and keeping everything to myself. I'm not caught up in what I'm going to wear tomorrow because I know that that is not going to matter a trillion years from now. But a trillion years from now, you know what's going to matter? What's going to matter is whether or not we were faithful 
and whether or not our works lasted through the fire. I don't know how that works in heaven, but I do know that heaven, there seems to be a, uh, those who have been faithful on earth with little is entrusted to much in heaven. Those who have been faithful over a little is going to be entrusted with much blessings and are going to probably be managers of people and managers of things in heaven in a way that is not sinful. But I want all that God has for me in the eternity. But even more than that, I just want to please God. Because he has given his absolute best to me. Jesus gave his best for us. And and the reason he was able to give us his best is because he understood that he was a manager of his life and not the owner of his life. When he walked the dusty streets of, of Palestine, he lived with the perspective that says, I have been sent to do my father's will. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but but the Son of Man have nowhere to lay his head. He did not come living as one in pompous and style, but he came as one who was broken and poor in order to make an impact on many for eternity. And he set a way for us, and he showed us what it is to value the things of the kingdom of God. He's a great manager, and he knew that one day he would be back in his father's oppressive, back in his father's uh, complete presence in, in heaven sitting on a right throne and he wanted to make sure that on that day of accountability he can hear from his father son well done the nations now belong to you every knee is now going to bow to you every tongue is going to confess to you Jesus was a prudent planner we must be prudent planners. So what does that look like? For us, that looks like having a vision. A vision is, is, a, is a, 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 a picture of what ought to be, a picture of the future. I think all of us this week, we need to sit down and just think about what God has entrusted with us and what the future is going to look like. We're going to help you to do that in upcoming weeks. But not to just live day by day and week by week, but set a vision. What does it look like for me as the the leader of my home, as a a man in my home, to, to, to look after the things that God has given me and to make most of every dollar that comes in? And then to set direction. To set a vision, we then need to set direction. Direction is me sitting down and creating a budget. Me sitting down and giving account to, to what I have. And I'm not just saying this and and making it up. I mean, this is what the Bible teaches. Proverbs 27. Wasn't going to go here, but real quick. Proverbs chapter 27. The writer of Proverbs tells us that we we ought to be wise and to be prudent planners. He says, know well the condition of your flocks. Now remember, he's probably talking to a very agrarian society. Says, know well the conditions of your flocks and give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure to all generations? When the grass is gone and the new growth appears and the vegetations of the mountains is gathered, the lambs will provide for your clothing and the goats the price of a field. There will be enough goats, milk for your food and for the food of your household, the maintenance of your girls. All right, talking to a father. He says, know well what's in your flock. He says, you may, may be in a season of prosperity right now, but the, the market may crash. But here's an endurance, such an enduring verse. As a father of two girls, this really touched my heart. Look at, look at the motive at the end. For the food of your household and the maintenance of your girls. How foolish is that of me to live in such a way that is not prudent, that is not wise, and if hard times come, for me not to be able to feed my daughters. For me to not be able to provide for them. Because I haven't taken the time to to put a little aside each check I get. Now, (laughs) This is embarrassing to say, but I wrote it on paper, so I, I probably need to say it. <laughs> I remember when me and Amber first got married, I think it was like our first uh, 
income tax check that came back. You know, uh, we're excited, we're happy. We kept saying we're going to plan how we're going to use it in the upcoming weeks. Two weeks later, we looked up and we said, all right, let's look at the money from our income tax. Let's see how we're going to use it. And we said, bae, that money was gone like the first week. <laughs> it wasn't a lot, amen. I said, huh? <laughs> Remember we went here? Uh-huh. Remember we went here? Uh-huh. Remember we did this? Uh-huh. I said, man. <laughs> and it was because I was a poor steward. I wasn't a prudent planner. I didn't sit down and say, this is going to go here, this is going to go here, and I didn't put restraints on it. It wasn't wise. It wasn't wise. This manager wasn't wise to begin with, but he begins to become wise. And he begins to change his perspective. And it makes a difference. It makes a difference. The fourth principle. A good steward uses money to win people to Jesus. A good steward uses money to win people for Jesus. Now this can be a a tough part of the parable, but here we go. He said, a hundred measures of oil, he said to them, verse 6, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons, and this is Jesus speaking here. He says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. He says, those who don't know Jesus are more shrewd, they're more creative in dealing with people than those who do know Jesus. Now Jesus here is calling us to be shrewd, but it's an innocent shrewd. It's not one that rips people off, but it is one who uses what God has given us to leverage the kingdom of God. Literally to win people to Jesus. It is to see our assets and our possessions as as tools to impact eternity. Look at verse 9. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. In some of your Bibles, you have a footnote there, and it says, by means of mammon or money. Unrighteous wealth, he means he's he's comparing unrighteous wealth to what he says in this passage is true wealth or true riches. Unrighteous wealth is simply money. It's it's, it's not the true riches. True riches is eternity. It's eternal life. It's new life in Christ. He says, make friends for yourselves by means of money so that when it fails, when you die, when your money is gone, They, those who you may, are now your friends, may receive you into the eternal dwellings. This is an incredible picture. It can seem a little confusing, but let me unpack this for you. He's saying that we are called to use what we have with a kingdom agenda to benefit God's kingdom. To make friends of people who don't know Jesus. So that one day when we die, just like this man was welcomed into uh, the, was probably welcomed into the home of those that he looked out for, we will be welcomed into eternity by those who are impacted because the way we used our resources. That one day the person that you set some money aside to take out to eat who didn't know Jesus, the person who you Set some money aside to to bless their children on their birthdays or on Christmas. That they will be moved by your genuine generosity and begin to ask questions, what must I do to be saved? And that that person who, who God may use to save and bring into his kingdom one day when you die, you will be met with them in heaven and you will be embraced by them as friends. What a beautiful picture. Can you imagine that? One day going to heaven and seeing five, ten, maybe even twenty people who are now in heaven, now sons of God, now brothers of their Savior, brothers of Jesus, now singing songs to the Lamb who gave his life for us. 
All because you use your money selflessly. Use your resources selflessly to impact. And for those who are not believers here today, I, I pray that this encourages you. I pray that you see the type of man and the type of God Jesus is. I pray that you see that he has called us as Christians to live in a, in a, in a counter-worldly uh, way, in a way that's different. He, he hasn't called us to build the biggest houses we can build and drive the nicest cars that we can possibly drive and live the most comfortable lives that we can possibly live. No, as a Christian, the Bible teaches us that he has saved us and redeemed us for his glory, and second, to use our lives to, to win and to benefit you for, for his name, to use our lives to serve you. Whether you come to Jesus or not, that's what he wants us to do, to experience what we have experienced, which is undeserved mercy. And sometimes we, we mess that up. Sometimes I mess that up. Sometimes I'm so selfish. And sometimes we can come off arrogant. And sometimes we can come off wrong. But because we have a relationship with Jesus, we are forgiven by the Father. And we are encouraged to change and to reach out to those who don't know. God wants you to know his son Jesus so that you can have the forgiveness of sins. Your sin is separating you from God. And if you are to die today without knowing Jesus as your Lord, meaning you're the ruler of your life and your Savior, then you will be separated from God for all eternity. You will go to a place called hell because you have rejected God's very best. You have rejected his gift, his son, Jesus. And the only way to find forgiveness of sin is to look to Jesus It's to look to him by faith. It's to believe that he died the death that you deserve to die. It's to believe that he's made a way for you to have peace. You don't, you don't get to benefit from this gift by, by being a good person or by doing good works. The way you become a beneficiary of this gift is by admitting your weakness and admitting that you need a savior. And I want to invite you to know that Jesus. I want to invite you to experience it. This manager was called to use his gifts in a way, or his, his, he was commended to use, but for using his resources, the master's resources, in a shrewd way. The Bible tells us to be shrewd as Christians. To be wise as serpents, but gentle as doves. To scheme for the kingdom. We all scheme. We all scheme. We all look at our account and try to figure out how we can get that pair of shoes or how we can upgrade from a 2009 to a 2012 vehicle or how we can get those new golf clubs or how we can get a bigger team. We all scheme. God says scheme for something that actually matters, something that rust and, and moth will not destroy. Scheme for my kingdom. He commends us when we do that. When we take time to plan. Now God, God hasn't just called us to be monks and called us to, to give away everything. I mean, he can, but he hasn't called us to do that. But he has, he has called us to be wise and to be thoughtful. We'll talk in upcoming weeks about what that looks like on the ground. Fifth, we see a good steward is faithful over the little things. A good steward is faithful over the little things. Verse 9. In fact, verse 10, excuse me, he says, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in very much. See, sometimes we believe the lie that since we only have a little, since we're only maybe uh, getting minimum wage, or since we have to rob Peter to pay Paul, that we are owners of what we have. And that God does not expect us to impact the kingdom. He doesn't expect us to, to give to the mission of the church. 
He doesn't expect us to serve others with, with money that we have, but that's, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that, that generosity is a heart issue. And if we can't be trusted with the little bit that we have, if we don't use the little bit that we have to impact the kingdom of God, we will not be better because we have much. Doesn't the NBA and NFL and uh, uh, American sports teams teach us that? Athletes who have never really had much and maybe who grew up in in a hard life or in the hood, they get millions and millions of dollars. And and they probably think to themselves, now that I have millions of dollars, I'm just going to help people. I'm going to manage well. I'm going to be rich forever. But the statistics show that most of them, five years after they have completed their athletic careers, are bankrupt. I think I read something like 70% of NBA players are bankrupt. Why? Because it's a, it's a heart issue. It's a discipline issue. Adrian Rogers, a great Baptist preacher, tells a, the story of a CEO that he once knew of. The CEO was getting ready to retire, and he uh, was starting to look for his replacement. He thought he got his replacement, and the entire company of this uh, wealthy, wealthy company began to to kind of congratulate and praise this guy that he will one day be over the company. This rich CEO one day went into the cafeteria and he sat in the back of the line and he just observed and, and watched this man that was going to take over what he built and take over his company. And as the man was in the cafeteria line, he noticed that the man took some butter that was th- only cost three cents and slid it under a napkin so he wouldn't have to pay that three cent. CEO watched him go and check out and watched him not pay for that three cent butter. He later called those who work closely with him around him. He says, we have to find someone new. I can't trust this man with a multi-million dollar business if he can't be trusted with three cent butter. I believe that God says that to us in in many ways as he's looking at us. We we want him to to give to us more and enlarge our territory, but he can't trust us with three cents. But even more than that, we, we want spiritual blessings and we want to experience his peace in a great way. And we want to one day be able to to experience heaven and those gifts in a great way, what, what the Bible calls true riches, but he can't trust us with three cents. He says, if I can't trust you with little things, what makes you think I'm going to trust you over the, with the big things? I learned this lesson when I was in high school playing basketball. Went to a really prestigious high school and was really nervous about trying out. The elementary school I went to and middle school I went to didn't really have great basketball players, so I was able to be the star of the team and but I knew coming to this big high school, I was, I was going to really have to earn my stripes. I'll never forget, before the official tryouts, it was kind of an open gym. All the guys came. And one of the guys who wasn't an official coach kind of gathered the good guys, and he said, you guys play on this court, and everyone else play on this court. And I was really pleased that he called me to this court. And the coach just kind of happened to walk in. He wasn't supposed to be there coaching, but he was just observing the talent that was coming in that year. And I remember watching guys warm up, and I was nervous. I said, man, these guys are really good. I know that I'm not going to stand out by being just the best scorer or the best shooter because all of these guys are good good scorers and and good shooters. I said to myself, the the way that I'm going to stand out in this game is by doing the little things. It's by setting picks, by playing tenacious defense. It's by getting rebounds. And maybe I'll have a chance at the end of the game of, of being noticed by the coach. Now, this wasn't the way I always thought. I was extremely selfish. In fact, I was called a ball hell quite a bit. So I'm not the hero of this story. But I did learn a lesson that day. After we had played, I think I took one shot, and by God's grace, I hit it. But I was setting picks and rolling and trying to get other guys open. The coach said, he said, Jamal, you play some unselfish basketball here today. That's exactly what this program is built on. And that's exactly what we're looking for. Our Heavenly Father is looking for some unselfish ball players. 
people who aren't concerned just with their pocketbook or their own personal kingdom, but who are concerned with his kingdom, concerned with his mission. What is his mission? What is his kingdom? To save the lost, to help those who are oppressed and who are poor. That's his agenda. To make disciples of those who have just come to know Jesus. Many of us, we can't do that because we are busy chasing money living above our means, and as a result, we have to work multiple jobs just to, because we're trying to keep up with the Joneses. And if we're honest with ourselves, at the end of the day, when we have caught up, we still feel empty. It's because the Bible says that's the way we're going to feel. He says, it's, Solomon says it's vanity. It's like chasing the wind. Finally, tells us in this text, Verse 11, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? Verse 12, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you what? That which is your own. Who will give you that which is your own? Pastor friend called me not too long ago about a uh, minister at his church who is a great preacher. But he said, all he wants to do is preach. He said, I can't get him to meet with people and talk to them about their faith. I can't get him to pick up something off the floor. He said, I can't get him to do anything. He said, he even told me that he, his calling was to be the next Billy Graham. He said, but I looked at him, I told him, how can I trust you to preach when I can't trust you to do other things that matter to God? good reminder for us all. He was faithful over little will be faithful over many things. Verse 13, our sixth principle is a good steward serves only one master. No servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Listen, our, our heart can only serve one God at a time. We can't serve two. Either we are living our lives to build our own kingdom and to use what God has given us in a selfish way, or we have surrendered and are living our lives for God's benefit and God's advantage and not our own. He said we can't do both. We can't do both. That's just a great reminder of us, even those who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, that we constantly need to go to God's word and we constantly need to help to, to cry out to God and say, God, help me to serve you and you alone. And the gospel masters teaches us that we all have fallen, uh, sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We all will continue to sin and fall short of God's glory. But the beauty of it is that God has sent an advocate, a mediator. He has sent Jesus. And when we find ourselves serving money, when we have found ourselves more concerned and worried and anxious about what we're going to wear and what we're going to eat than seeking first the kingdom of God, that God is there to receive us and to forgive us and to welcome us as if we have never sinned before. And that's all because of his son, Jesus. So even as we hear these principles today and we think through these principles and we, we say to ourselves, Lord, Lord, I know that I've been seeing myself as the owner and not a manager. Lord, I, I know that I've not been living in light of the day of accountability. Lord, I know that I haven't been a, a prudent planner. Lord, I know that I, I, I have not been faithful over the little things. Lord, I know that I've been serving money and worrying about worldly things more than I have about being, becoming a, a better disciple and a better witness for you. That's you today. And you're willing to say, Lord, I know these things, but I, I, I have a change of mind today. I want to change, and I want to leverage what you've given me for your benefit and not my own. The Bible says that he'll forgive us today. That he'll empower us to be what we cannot be on our own. And that's good news. Because on my own, I'm so selfish. On my own, I could be so narcissistic. 
on my own, I can look at other people's possessions and say, God has given you that to bless me, rather than God has given me my possessions to bless you. But with God, my perspective can change. A little time, a little money, a little talent is a big deal to God. Be faithful over what he's given you. Plan well. Love Jesus. And watch him make much of your life. Watch him make much of your children. Let's pray.